Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Praise the Lord. My name is Seth, and welcome to Scripture Unleashed. I'm joined here this week with my brothers in Christ, Anthony Lamb from Valley Apostolic. He is the assistant pastor there. Praise the Lord. Also, Brother Jacob Gilbert from the Williston, North Dakota Pentecostal Church. Praise the Lord. And Pastor Joe Hostetler out of Beach, North Dakota, pastoring a church in Beach. Evening. Praise the Lord. This week in Scripture Unleashed, we will be going through Exodus chapter 7 through 27, and also Psalms chapter 11 through 13. Also, by the way, listener, we will be going through the scriptures here. We will all be quoting out of the King James Version Bible, so there's a little confusion. That's what we are doing. Also, a friendly reminder, just remember, you know, we are... Uh, all young ministers with the United Pentecostal Church International. And if your United Pentecostal Church International pastor preaches or teaches something different, we contradict him or we go against your pastor teaching biblical principles for your life. Please remember that God has placed your pastor in your life for a reason. Now, if he's preaching false doctrine, listen to us. But other than that, listen to him. <laughs> all right. But Exodus, let's get into it this week. Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to start. I'm starting Exodus 7 through 12. I'll be giving an overview there. And then uh, Exodus chapters 13 down through 24 will be Brother Anthony. And so I'm going to go ahead and start here tonight. And so Exodus chapter 7, what you'll be reading here is Moses has come back to Egypt. God has told him that he wants to use him to uh, extract uh, his people from the nation of Egypt. And so Moses is used to go before Pharaoh. And he, if you find here in Exodus chapter 7, God gives instructions to Moses as what to do and what to say before he goes to Pharaoh. He's already given him powerful signs that he told him that would accompany him. And so he now he gets to the ability to put those into practice. God also here, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. The Bible says in Exodus 7 and 3, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 7, Aaron's rod, Aaron being the brother of Moses, is also used uh, to support uh, Moses in his ministry here. And he, he has a rod that God has given him, and he throws it down. It becomes a snake, this type thing. But then God also lays out instructions for Pharaoh here in Exodus chapter 7 of what he wants him to do, you know, and, and this type thing. And then God gives the first plague. He gives 10 plagues to the nation of Egypt to deliver his people. Again, he hardens Pharaoh's heart, the Bible says, so that he can show he is the real God and to show, you know, his great deliverance, his great hand of deliverance. In Exodus chapter 8, moving right along, we have the second plague, uh, the plague of frogs. And if you'll notice one thing is very interesting, if you study in depth, you won't find it uh, really in the scriptures here in Exodus, but you will notice that there is, each one of these plagues has to deal with false Egyptian gods. Uh, the plague of yeah. blood, the Bible says, uh, you know, God turned all the water in Egypt, including the Nile River, into blood. The Egyptians believed in the Nile God. And uh, the Nile River was their source of life. It was turned to blood. They could not drink of it and all the water in Egypt. Too. Uh, in Exodus 8, the plague of frogs, again, there was a, uh, a, I guess you want to call it a frog god. <laughs> it's kind of a silly god, in my opinion. Uh, but God shows that he's in control and that he just covers the land of Egypt in frogs. Also, going on in Exodus chapter 8, Pharaoh you know, asks Moses, hey, entreat the Lord for me to get rid of these frogs, you know, and I, I want them gone. I, I love it. Exodus 8 and it's and verse 9. It's very interesting. And the Bible says, uh, and Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee to get rid of these frogs is what he's saying. Glory over me. That's interesting. You know, you are Pharaoh. Glory over me. You know, you you ha you tell me, oh, Pharaoh, basically, uh, when to get rid of these frogs. And Pharaoh in all of his wisdom and power and might says tomorrow, which makes absolutely no sense. I would love him to be gone today if every nook and cranny of my house and my food had frogs in it. But then also you see this, this third plague, the plague of lice. All the dust of the land of Egypt becomes lice. It, it gets into everything. It affects everything. The magicians, they were also able to copy some of these 
uh, tricks. It wasn't tricks. It was supernatural events God was doing. They were able to copy them in, by simple tricks or simple sorcery of some sort. And then you move on into the fourth plague, the, the, uh, the plague of flies. And God just covers the land of Egypt in flies. It's, uh, the Bible says in verse 24 of 8, a grievous swarm of flies. Uh, it was disgusting. And Pharaoh, you see here in Exodus chapter 8, he tells them, go and sacrifice to God in the land. Go, you know. And But he puts limitations on, on Moses and the children of, of Israel, obviously, here. Then you notice he, you know, he, 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 uh, he, Moses went out from Pharaoh. He entreats the Lord. For Pharaoh, the Lord uh, removes the flies. And then again, the end of Exodus 8, Pharaoh, he hardens his heart again, and he would not let the people go. Then in Exodus chapter 9, you have the plague on the cattle. And uh, it's very interesting here. God is God is not leaving one stone unturned and just messing with everything. First, he messes with their water supply. He messes with their food supply. Uh, with the frogs, it talks about them being in their ovens. It talks about... You know, these lice are in their bed. It's, you know, it's in everything. These flies are covering everything. Now God's putting his hand on the cattle just to show he's got control over everything. And uh, he's, he's, not, he's not hindered like you Egyptian. Uh, the, the Egyptians, they had to pray that they're false gods. Every god, they had a god for everything under the sun, including the sun. And, uh, you know, and, and God's like, no, I'm just the one true God, and I have my hand on everything. There's a plague on the cattle. It's very interesting there. You know, he kills their cattle there. And then moving on in, in Exodus chapter 8, there's the plague of uh, what the Bible calls boils, where it was, uh, you know, how would you say it? Maybe in our day, like you had blisters. That's the word I'm looking for, blisters, that type mm-hmm. thing, breaking out all over your body. Uh, it was just, it was, I could not imagine. You know, I think right then and there, I, guys, I don't know about you, but I would have just marched right into the Israel camp and like, I'm a Jew, sign me up right now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the like the frogs and the lice weren't good enough. I would have been like, just sign me up, guys. But then uh, also Moses, further on, the Lord, you know, tells him to go before Pharaoh, you know, and he talks about there's going to be this this hail storm. And uh, I think it's very interesting. This this plague of hail is going to come, he tells Pharaoh. And, the uh, it, you know, it's going to be the worst thing Egypt has ever seen. He tells them this. And uh, it's fu- it's interesting because if you look around verse 20, 21, uh, it says, He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. There were some that were starting to believe by this this plague. And then you have, uh, then the plague of hell, it happens. And everything that was in the field, I mean, it just gets obliterated. It talks about fire running along the ground. Uh, the hail smoke, out, uh, smoke throughout all the land of Egypt. It says, uh, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. They were the, the children of Israel protected, separated from these plagues. And Pharaoh's response uh, later on in Exodus chapter 9, he talks about verse uh, you know, 27, Pharaoh was sent and called for Moses there and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I, I and my people are wicked. Like, you got it, Pharaoh. You, you're nailing it down. And then... <laughs> And then he says, entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses, you know, he goes out and he prays, and and uh, it, the Lord stops it. Um, but then the end of Exodus 9, 34, and Pharaoh saw that the hail, the rain and hail and the thunders were ceased. He sinned yet more and hardened his heart. It's very interesting, guys, I, I found, too, just a little side note. Uh, he sinned more he hardened his heart the bible also speaks of um if you he that knoweth to do good and does it not to him it is sin he hardened his heart against the things of god interesting you know and then uh the lord again you know it speaks of uh you know the lord he hardened pharaoh's heart in exodus 10 moving on in exodus 10 he he talks to pharaoh or excuse me moses here i hardened pharaoh's heart you're going to tell your children about the great things I have done when, when I brought you out of Egypt. But then Moses warns of the uh, the next plague, of the coming of the locusts. You know, we have this plague of hail, guys. It's it's how the Bible describes it. It's absolutely devastating. Like we've had hail here in North Dakota. It is devastating for me yeah. in the contracting business, though. Those are golden nuggets falling out of the sky. That means yeah. new, that means more work. <laughs> Amen. To borrow the phrase of my pastor, that is more work for me. Not this kind of hail. This hail was bad. Yeah. And it destroyed yeah. all the vegetation, everything. And the Bible speaks that where there were still some some of the seed had not sprouted yet. It destroyed everything that, you know, was was like green. All the tree, everything. 
But then it talks about the plague of locusts that's going to come. And uh, the plague of locusts, they do come. And it talks about it ate everything. It, I mean, it just ate everything. It was the worst, you know, plague of locusts. And I've heard several stories, and it is devastating. The, the judgment of God here on Egypt is absolutely devastating. Just one powerful thing after the next. And he just, he just crushes Egypt again and again. Moving on into Exodus chapter 10, the plague after the plague of locusts, it was horrible. God, you know, finally do, uh, does away with the locusts. Uh, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 10, verse 19, the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them in the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This <laughs> is interesting. The plague of darkness then is the next plague here. It was a thick darkness, like a thick, mm -hmm. like you could almost feel it. Um, yeah. And that's just, that's just eerie and quite... Uh, disturbing, really. If you if you've ever experienced it, I've never experienced it quite like that. I've woke up in some dark places, but that's that's dark. You know, they could not see one another. They says neither rose any from his place for three days. You know, and then moving on. You know, finally Pharaoh is getting really, really tired of it. Uh, but the Lord, the Bible says, in the end of Exodus ten, hardened Pharaoh's heart again. He would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, "Get thee from me, talking to Moses. Take heed to thyself. See my face no more. For in the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die." He's getting tired of Moses and uh, and of God yeah. here. And I think it's also interesting because Moses, when he first comes to Pharaoh, uh, in early on in Exodus, I believe it's Exodus five, somewhere in there, he says, "You know, who's the Lord?" that I should let you go. You know, who's the Lord that I should obey you? And, you know, the Lord really introduces himself in quite a mean way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's proving a point. You know, he's, I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm Jehovah God. I rule this thing, Pharaoh. Um, anyway, so, but then, and then the final plague here, Exodus 11, the Lord, if you read in verse one, the Lord said unto Moses, yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt afterwards. He will let you go from, you know, hence from here. When, when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out. Hence all he got. And God said, you know, Pharaoh's going to kick you out of here so fast. He's going to, he's going to get you out of here. Uh, but then it speaks of um, these jewels that, that the uh, children of Israel were going to take um, from the Egyptians when they were to leave. I mean, all kinds of precious stones. It talks about jewels of silver, jewels of gold, uh, Moses, but then uh, Moses, he warns of the firstborn's death. This is, uh, we're getting into the final plague, which is uh, known as the Passover. We're going to have a lot to say on that here uh, coming up. But Exodus 11, it's it's a very short chapter. But, uh, you know, he's warning against the firstborn's death. If you look in Exodus 11, 4, Moses said, Thus saith the Lord about midnight, will I go out into the midst of Egypt? And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh all the way down to the maidservant who's behind the mill, the lowest of the land. And all the firstborn of the beasts, they're all going to die. Everybody's going to die. You know, this is, this is a terrible thing that's going to happen here. And God is, is telling, speaking through Moses, this is what's going to happen uh, in, in Egypt. And then also uh, in Exodus 12, this is God giving commandments of what the Passover is. You know, so it's interesting to me, God warns uh, in Exodus 11, you know, he warns of the firstborn's death that's going to come. But then... Uh, then he tells in Exodus 12, you know, the Passover is instituted by God. This was a, uh, if I understand it right, a feast. All yeah. right, Brother Jacob here. Um, yeah. A feast instituted and a, a day of remembrance here. Of, you know, when God brought you out of Egypt, all this type thing. And they have all these, as you read through it, God is instituting the Passover. Uh, how to, uh, basically, you're to take a lamb, you're to kill it, you're to take the blood and a bull. You were to put that blood on your sides of your doorpost, the top of your doorpost, um, and then you were to um, grill basically over an open fire. Uh, that lamb, don't break any of the bones, which I find interesting. Um, some parallels there definitely to Jesus Christ, our, our perfect lamb mm -hmm. sacrifice. Yep. Um, you don't break any of the bones, eat everything, and what you don't uh, eat in the, you know, by in the morning, just burn it all. And you keep... Uh, this Passover is a memorial forever. If you read on later on here in Exodus 12, uh, keep the Passover as a memorial. This was going to be instituted from, from now on out. Towards the end of Exodus 12, the blood is on the, the, uh, the sides of the door frame, the sides of the door frame and the top of the door frame. What the Bible says, uh, the King James here says the lentil, the top of the door. The blood was to be applied from that lamb, that Passover lamb. The blood was supposed to be applied to your door. And that blood, if it was applied to your door, 
the Lord would just pass over your home and preserve your firstborn. You know, it's interesting. Uh, God gives them the Passover, like how you're going to keep it throughout the years before he ever does the Passover. Like, you know, this is going to happen. You know, the, these, the, I'm giving you this because this, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I wouldn't give you, he wouldn't give you this, waste all of his time in verses one through 28 and then 29 through 30. Then he, you know, actually institutes the Passover. God was speaking like, this is what's going to happen when you come out of Egypt, you're going to keep this. But then yeah. uh, towards the end of Exodus 12, the death of the firstborn Pharaoh uh, in verse 30, very sad. Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt and there was not a house where there was not one dead. It's very sad. Very sad indeed. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then Pharaoh definitely, he called for Moses and Aaron, said, get out of my land. And then the children of Israel, they do spoil the Egyptians. They take all these jewels that the Bible spoke of. They would take and they get up. They just depart. <laughs> and they, it sounds like the Egyptians, as you read here in Exodus 12, were very happy to see them go after all the devastation the Lord had, had laid on Egypt. But with that, Brother, uh, Brother Lamb, I believe you're next, uh, Anthony. Uh, if you want to go ahead, 13 on down. Yeah, Exodus 13, verse 3. Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and there shall be no leavened bread be eaten. So what is happening here is the tradition of the Passover is instituted, and, and the people of Israel uh, start implementing it. They start holding the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We won't go into too much detail. But God leads Israel through the wilderness rather than war and, and by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night away from what they know. And let's jump over to chapter 14. Just a quick overview. Pharaoh pursues the Israelites. And then we receive God's instructions to the Israelites, I guess. Here's, here's what happened, verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Like, it, all of a sudden it hit them when, when they actually realize oh they're gone he, he starts pursuing he starts chasing after them with with the chariots and with the army and then of course we have the red sea incident in exodus 14 we'll be talking about that in depth uh, after the break uh, but it it didn't end so well for pharaoh's army <laughs> let's just put it that way right yeah. <laughs> the egyptian army was left destroyed and then we go into chapter 15 where it starts off that Moses is singing a song unto the Lord. It's verse two. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And then he keeps going and going. And, and man, what celebration in chapter 15. One of the most awesome chapters in the Bible, full of praise and and yeah. And just celebration of what God has done. And right. uh, then we go into chapter 16. We're kind of going on a roller coaster ride. They're celebrating and they're enjoying the goodness of God. And towards the end of 15 and then into 16, there's bitter waters. There's you know, all of a sudden things are like, oh, wow, I thought living for God would be easy. And sure, <laughs> sure enough, uh, they, they took their journey from Elam in chapter 16. And they came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, it says, on the 15th day of the second month. There begins to be murmuring among the people. There begins to be questioning God, questioning God's leadership. Um, you see that a lot in today's church as well, unfortunately. Yeah. God, God does something. God does something about it. Uh, Moses lifts up a cry, and, and he's praying to God. And look, he's like, God, people are murmuring. What, what are we going to do? Verse 8, check that out. Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And, and so God intervenes, and he sends forth quail and manna. And yeah. 
he, he gives them what they need, even though they were murmuring, even though they didn't go about it the right way. God still showed compassion, still showed that he's a God of provision, and he gives to them. He provides for them. And we're introduced to manna, which we could go in depth about for quite a while if we wanted to. Just we'll go for the sake of time, we'll jump over to chapter 17. I want to be mindful of everyone's time. Chapter 17, there's more murmurings. <laughs> yeah. the, the children of Israel are just, they're just never happy. <laughs> At least that's what it seems like. Um, yeah. So, so they're murmuring, they're complaining. Moses is getting frustrated. Eventually, Moses smites the rock of Horeb. And water comes gushing out, and the people drink. Let's see, verse 7, it says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? <laughs> Going further, Moses built an altar towards the end of that chapter, and he calls it Jehovah Nisi, for he said in verse 16, Because the Lord had sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. But Jehovah Nisi, is, the Lord is our banner, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our, our victory. victory, yes. Yeah. Praise God. Going further to chapter 18, we have a visit from Moses' father-in-law. Jethro shows up in the picture. Quite surprisingly, it feels like he comes out of nowhere, but he gives... He gives some really sound advice to Moses. Right. He, yeah. he meets with Moses and... And the, all it takes is really one day with Moses, and, and Moses is sitting on the hill. He, he's in his his chair or whatever, <laughs> and people are coming to him from the whole congregation of Israel, and they're going one by one. And Moses is having to judge every single situation. And Jethro yeah. sees this, he finds this out, and he's like, what, "Moses, what, what are you doing?" <clears throat> He tells Moses this in, in verse 18. Thou will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And then he says, hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. In verse 20, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Right. He institutes law. Why are you telling everybody and judging every situation when you, you can really just have some rules and, and ordinances that we can just live by? And so you can have some kind of government. And so that's kind of yeah. the gist of chapter 18, which is actually a very valuable asset to Moses and the kingdom of Israel. Right. Mm -hmm. Brother Jacob, chapter 19. Chapter 19, we go in and we see after three months, after the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they finally reach Mount Sinai, the mountain that is throughout the entire scriptures. We see it time and time again. We see here as we go through this chapter that the Lord commands Moses to set up a boundary around it that nobody would go up and touch the mountain because the Lord was about to descend. He was about to come out of heaven and stand upon this mountain. And when he did so, if anybody came to the mountain and touched it or came near to it, they would die. This chapter 19 is showing the Lord coming down Mountain Sinai, catching all on fire and being a smoke as the Lord comes down. And then we transition right into chapter 20. And this is the first time that the Israelites hear God speak apart from Moses. Moses is not the mediator at this point. God speaks these words and he begins to give out the Ten Commandments in this chapter. You know, you can imagine all of a sudden uh, in verse 19, as, as the Lord descended, there was this long trumpet blast that just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And, and you can imagine the people backing away for fear. Well, then all of a sudden the Lord begins to speak and he says, I am the Lord thy God. And you could just imagine his voice just reverberating through the air and, and terrifying the people. And so he begins to go through and he tells them the Ten Commandments, which as you read, you'll kind of go through and you'll see them. You should really kind of focus on them. The first four of the Ten Commandments, or the, uh, I believe it's the first four, deal with our relationship with God. And the next and the last six deal with our relationship with the people around us. At the end of it, uh, the Lord institutes a law of the altar. Uh, basically, they are not to build an altar out of out of any metals or anything like that. They're to build it out of stone because they weren't supposed to lift any tool on the altar. And if they did, they polluted it. It was just supposed to be a natural rock right. that they built up 
and used as their altar. The next several chapters is basically God going through and giving them laws. We see in chapter 21, we see the slave laws. These are laws that, and by slave, it's it's more indentured servants. If any man that doesn't have enough money to pay you back, basically he could quote-unquote, sell you himself to pay that debt. And we see later on in, in Scripture that there becomes a year of jubilee when all of that stuff is forgiven and people are set free. So these, these slave laws, it wasn't like slavery that we had, you know, in the United States way back. It was a different type of slavery, if you want to call it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. The next set of laws is the restitution laws, basically, if any man take something from another person if there's a thief and and he is killed while he's in the act of stealing and there's no blood that needs to be shed for him but if he if the sun rises up and he is taken and killed well then he should have and instead of paid back and it's a whole thing you got to kind of go through it and dig it out for yourself but as these two sets of laws are what we see in chapter 21 chapter 22 continues with the restoration laws in the first part and then it begins to talk about the social justice laws these are laws that are basically if a man borrows something to somebody else and it gets hurt or stolen or or dies the person that it was borrowed to needs to make restitution for it they need to pay for it he goes through and he talks you know that uh he talks about if a man were to uh entice a maid and and lay down with her to that he was supposed to marry her afterwards and if the father refuses then he had to pay a certain amount of money for the dowry he talks here very specifically verse 18 just kind of popped out as i'm going through this that you know you're not so to suffer a witch to live. He goes through and talks about all these different things. He talks about that if you take your neighbor's raiment as a pledge, you take his clothing as a pledge, that you need to give it back to him by the time that the sun goes down because that's his only covering. Verse 28, and one this is one thing that's kind of interesting. It says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. That word gods is Elohim, same as that we use for God and his supreme, as being the, the supreme God. But also it can be used as judges, rulers, or little g gods, as you've probably heard it called, false gods and false deities. So more than likely with the context of this, this word gods here is talking about the judges or rulers of the people, that you're not to revile them. Right, uh, right. that makes sense in context too, verse 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which that always struck me as funny until I dug into it and pulled it out there. That's but good. verse 23 continues on with the social justice laws. And then we come into the Sabbath and festival laws. Basically, he talks about that you can sow in your land for six years and then and you can gather the fruits. But the seventh year, you have to let it rest, let it lie still. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the poor of the people basically come in and and they can take of that food that grows naturally. He talks about also that six days you can do work. And on the seventh, you need to rest. You know, your, your ox and your ass, your donkey needs to rest. Your son of your handmaid, the stranger. They need to rest so they can be refreshed for the next week. He talks about that there needs to be three times. There will be three feasts in which people will come up uh, to Jerusalem before the Lord. And, right. and this is actually meant to be that the the firstborn will come up unto the Lord. Interesting that, that, which we may talk about a little bit later, but when God kills the firstborn, he makes it so that all of the firstborn of Israel are his. Anything that opens the matrix, as the Bible says, anything that opens the womb is to be his. He talks about that they need to keep the feast of unleavened bread. So these these firstborn need to be in front of him every three times a year. There'll be a feast of the harvest and also the feast of ingathering as well, or the three feasts that they need to go to. And then it continues talking about God promising the, uh, in verse 20 and on, it talks about God promising the conquering of Canaan. Uh, He said, Behold, I will send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. It goes on, but warns them that they need to obey him. Otherwise, you know, he's not going to he's not going to pardon them. He's not going to count them guiltless. And then we jump to chapter, excuse me, 24. And here we have Moses instituting the covenant. Uh, Moses takes he takes an oxen, kills it takes of the blood and then he sprinkles the blood on the altar and then he sprinkles the blood on the people he reads the book of the covenant basically all these laws that that the lord has given so far he reads all of these laws tells it to them and sprinkles the blood on them and tells them behold the blood of the covenant which the lord hath made with you concerning all these words every covenant that god makes requires blood and here we just see one other instance of that and with that brother 
Joe, I believe you're doing chapter 25. Absolutely. We see in giving a brief overview of chapter 25 through 27 in Exodus here, the Lord tells Moses to take up an offering. He gives uh, instruction on what, and this is the offering which you shall take up. He gives an instruction on that. And then he says uh, <clears throat> to use that and to build him a sanctuary. He said that I may dwell with them or dwell among them, the people for God gives them uh, mm -hmm. instruction to build a tabernacle in the wilderness where they were at. He gives a detailed instruction on how he wants it built, how he wants the Ark of the Testimony built or the Ark of the Covenant, which is a mm -hmm. representation of the presence of God uh, with them. Of course, there was the Ark of the Covenant. He gives detailed instruction on what size to make it, about the angels uh, above it, and then uh, also about the mercy seat above that. And he said that I, he said it was there that I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. That gives very detailed instruction. And he concludes chapter 25 with make sure that you follow all the instructions um, that I've given you, that, that I showed you. And then verse or chapter 26, same. We see that um, God gives the instructions on the size, that at the size and how he wants the tent built, wherein was the, the Holy of Holies, which is the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence of God, or was representing the presence of God. He gave details, and, and, all the, and it's very interesting how God really, I mean, he gives such very, very detailed, I mean, size, yeah. what he wants to use, yeah. and, you know, how much of this that he wants to use. So he's very, very detailed, and he, he says, you know, make sure, just make sure that you, you follow all of these instructions. And, you know, if you dug everything out, I'm sure every little detail that God God's into the details, and so there was a reason for, yeah. for every. And I don't know all the you know all the reasons for every single thing. I know some of them, what they represented or whatever. But the God was very detailed in uh, chapter 26. And then, of course, going into chapter 27, you'll see that God again gives instructions on an altar there that was going to be built, kind of in the you know if you look at a at the old at the tabernacle. The altar was when you came into the um, into the tent or the outer course. There was the altar, and then beyond that was the the uh, holy of holies. And, and you'd have to look at a picture of that. But we see that God gives uh, instruction again on the altar, um, how He wants the altar built. You know, with four brazen rings, and uh, He just really gives very very detailed instruction. Talks about the the court, the outer court, how He wants that built, uh, which way He wants it facing. Um, how big to make it, and then also the outer tent walls, I guess. God gives instruction on that and what material to be used on the outer course in chapter 27. Then also, I guess I'll be given a brief. That, that basically wraps up what we're going to be covering in the book of Exodus this week, but a brief overview of um, Psalms, the book of Psalms chapter 11 through 13, which you will be reading as well this week. In Psalms chapter 11, um, here's just some short little chapters. King David, of course, King David wrote these particular psalms. He he starts off by <clears throat> proclaiming that the Lord's eyes are they're on the children of men, and that God sees what we're doing. God pays attention to what we're doing, and that God mm -hmm. is with the righteous, but the wicked are going to experience um, some horrible storms. Lord loveth righteousness; His countenance doth behold the upright. In Psalms chapter 12, David said that the Lord is going to cut off all flattering lips and a proud tongue. And then he kind of concludes chapter 12 that also the words of the Lord are pure like silver. And that has been tried with fire. Yeah. And the Lord preserves his word, David said. Then in, in chapter 13, we see as a, a prayer of God's grace, really. David starts off by asking God, now, where are you, Lord? Uh, you know, how long are you going to forget me? How long are you going to hide your face from me? And uh, then he just, it's a prayer of, for grace, but then he concludes that with saying, I will sing unto the Lord uh, because he has dealt bountiful, bountifully with me. That, I guess, is a, a very brief overview of Psalms chapter 11 through 13. And I believe that we are taking a break after this point. And uh, we will be right back with some focused content. Hi, and we're back here with Scripture Unleashed. 
as we did before the break, we went through Exodus chapter 7 through 27 and also Psalm 11 through 13. And as the focus is of this uh, podcast, we'd like to dig into the word. And so in the second half of the, the podcast today, we're going to be digging into a couple of the topics that are of importance that we find of great importance in these scriptures. All Obviously, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a few things within the, the scriptures that you're going to be reading this week that really stuck out uh, as we studied, and a few things that just pop out, and also a few things that you'll see in the New Testament that also stick out that are of great importance to those uh, would be the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, the institution of the Passover, uh, everything that comes along with the Passover. Obviously, it is one of the plagues of God against the uh, Pharaoh and Egypt to bring out his people. What it is, too, is that there's, there's deeper lessons within the Passover story. To kick us off here, uh, let's see, Brother uh, or Joe, would you like to, to kind of dive into Exodus chapter 12 for us? Start us out. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Exodus chapter 12. Uh, we see that uh, where the the Passover is instituted, and what the pa what happened if uh, the Passover wasn't observed or kept. Of course, the Passover is where Moses tells the children in 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 uh, Exodus chapter twelve verse twenty one. The Bible says Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, "Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover." And he uh, says, "Take." A bunch of hyssop. I guess we could probably just say get a paintbrush, dip it in the blood from that <laughs> lamb, and, and and paint it on the, the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that's in the basin. And they were to eat that lamb. They were supposed to grill it. And what the Passover was is, of course, we we gave a brief overview of it was the tenth and the final plague that hit Egypt. Right. And what this was is yeah. if there was the Lord said, I'm gonna. I'm going to come through in the middle of the night and the I'm going to look angel. for it. Yeah, the death angel. And that's yeah. where I guess yeah. that comes from. But, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be looking for that blood on your doorpost. If it's not on there, mm -hmm. your firstborn is going to surely die. You know, so they took that blood and they put it on the doorpost. When the death angel came that night, he visited every house there in Egypt. And wherever that blood wasn't, that firstborn in that house died. And so you could see how this was, yeah. you know, you will sure wanted to make sure that you heard Moses loud and clear. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, when he yeah. spoke, you wanted to make sure that um, you know that you paid attention to the details. I guess the Passover, of course, that's what the Passover was for. But it's also even you know how does it apply to our life today? First uh, Corinthians chapter five verse seven. The latter half of that verse says, "Christ, our Passover." Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong. I'm reading the wrong verse. Or verse eighteen: We are not redeemed with corruptible things, uh, but with the precious blood mm -hmm. of Christ, as of a lamb yes. without spot and without blemish. And also, that was you know that was important in the Passover. This lamb was without spot and without blemish. And yes. so, um, then First Corinthians five seven: That Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You know, I think um, we could pull out the importance of the Passover in that it didn't matter. You know, God gave the instruction. He said, you, you need to kill that lamb. That lamb needs to be sacrificed. And that yes. blood needs to be applied properly. Yeah. Otherwise, you yeah. know, can you imagine if somebody didn't know? You know, when the death angel came visiting, it didn't matter if they knew or didn't know. If that blood wasn't on that doorpost, you know, that firstborn was dying in that house. And uh, yeah. which brought that scripture in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. To my mind, it talks about the return of the Lord and in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. So we could say right. maybe the people that just didn't know, you know, they just, they didn't know. Yeah. And, 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 and with that, you know, there's this thing that, uh, uh, <laughs> there's this thing called the light doctrine. Yes. <laughs> and the light doctrine is that if somebody doesn't know the truth, of the born-again message, that how could a just God, you know, in flaming fire, how could he take vengeance on them that know not God? Hey, listen, there are things that none of us like. You know, I don't like thinking about that, but that still doesn't make it not true. Um, right. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. on them that know not God and them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the children of, the, of Israel could have... Um, maybe just not known, you know, that didn't get them a pass. And so, yeah. you know, if you're not, the light doctrine is just to do whatever, basically, that you know, and uh, 
no, that's just false doctrine. It's the right, it's yeah, the, right. It's the job of the yeah. church. This to, time of ignorance, God winked at. Yeah, but and now, now calls every man, every mm-hmm. man to repent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, I mean, there's just absolutely, it. You know, to me, there's just no room whatsoever in the gospel and the apostolic movement, the apostolic church. There's no room in that for the light doctrine. Hey, if yeah. at judgment day God decides to do something different. That's up to God. But, you know, right now, right here, right now, we have absolutely no authority to, to try to change Scripture, to try to, you know, yeah. I, I think that Jesus was pretty clear, except the man be born of the water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He can't see it. He can't enter it. And so, you know, I, I the Passover just kind of really brings that out, I guess. You know, the importance of, you know, the, the children of Israel knew it. They did it. And um, that was the only way. Knowing's not enough. We actually got to do it. And so, right. Yeah. And, and in order that to do it, so you have good. to know it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's like so good. Yeah. So I, the, no, uh, you know, go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, sir. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just, you know, one of the, uh, the things I thought powerful and I'll, I'll ask you here, Jacob, you're next on the, on Exodus 12, if you have anything to say. Um, but yeah. one of the most powerful things I've ever heard preached, Joe was by your brother, Jacob Hostetler, you know, he talked about, we have so many people in our day um, who believe in, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, they just believe in him or they say they believe they profess him. And he said, imagine in that day, if, you know, this Passover lamb had been sacrificed, you had killed it, you had drained the blood out of it. And uh, everybody was standing around, they heard the words of Moses, you know, you have to apply it to your door, the sides of your door, the top of your door. Um, and then you'll, your firstborn will be fine. And people are standing around like, oh, we, we, we killed the lamb. The lamb has been slain. I believe yep. it. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I believe it. But then you never applied it. Never. Right? Applied. You yeah. never yeah. took that blood and you put it on yep. your door. It, it didn't yeah. matter if you believed that the lamb was slain or that the lamb, the blood was in the bowl or the blood, you know, the branch was right there that, you know, the, uh, to, yeah. to smear the blood on your door. It didn't matter. All that was in place. What matters is if you obeyed. Right. If you yeah, did obedient faith. what was commanded. Exactly. And that's that's all that faith is, is obedience. You know, truly yeah, exactly. belief right. and obedience. Yeah. Right. And uh and I mean that's it was just powerful. But anyways, Jacob, yeah. you got something to add there, Exodus yeah. twelve. One thing that is well I was kinda of wanting to to pull out and and you mentioned it in your overview set that the correlation between Christ and this lamb that is slain, uh the fact that you I didn't I actually never realized it until you mentioned it that it mentions in here that you're not to break the bones of the lamb. Right. And yeah. how and how Christ, you know, there's a psalm that that prophesies about Christ's bones, not all my bones were were how does it say for, were found. Um or I can't remember the exact wording, but basically Christ's bones weren't broken. Normally what they would do on the on the cross is closer to the end of, of their death to hurry it along. They would break their legs to cause them to suffocate faster right. Right because the, then uh, they couldn't hold mm-hmm. themselves up. Right. Um, but Christ had already died, so there was no need to break his legs. So instead they stab him through with the spear. Right. I never, I never realized that correlation in here until you mentioned, and I even read this today uh, in my normal Bible reading. Um, it was kind of, I don't know how I didn't see it until you mentioned it, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely, you know, the, uh, it's Psalm 34, 20 is what you're talking about is prophecy of okay. Jesus, but it says he keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken, um, yeah, yeah. is the prophecy there, but, um, yeah, absolutely. It's powerful. You know, so many, right. so many connections there with, with Christ is, 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 uh, brother Joe pointed out in first Corinthians five, seven there, Christ is our Passover lamb. He's a lamb without yeah. spot blemish. Right. He is, uh, he, he is the perfect sacrifice. You know, he, yes. he is, you know, the, his bone, none of his bones are broken. All the, you know, it's just so many, so many parallels there. Uh, Anthony, Anthony, you have anything to add there? Exodus chapter 12 before we I, move on. Well, just, uh, I'll share a story. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, I first heard of the Passover story for the very first time. I was brought up Catholic, so I guess they didn't really teach on that. I, I don't quite understand that, but I found myself in, in the United Pentecostal Church, and the pastor got up and, and taught on the Passover. I'll, I'll never forget it. He, he started talking about how it was the perfect sacrifice of the lamb that saved the Israelites um, from, the, from, the, mm-hmm. from that devastating death angel. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it clicked. It clicked in my mind for the very first time that I need the blood of the lamb applied to my life. And so after service, man, I was 
I was just a kid, honestly. I went up to the pastor and I said, I want the blood of a lamb applied to my life. And he said, you know, that's baptism, right? Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't, I don't even think it was a week later that I think it was the next, I think that was on a Wednesday and it was the following Sunday because um, my my mom was okay with it, that, you know, I was, I was washed in the blood of the lamb, uh, repented, Amen. repented of my sins Amen. and baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, but, but he didn't talk about baptism that night, but it just goes to show mm-hmm. that preacher just keep on preaching. Teacher keep on teaching. Yeah. Yes. yes. You, don't, you don't know what the word is doing in some, somebody's heart. And right. just, yeah. the Holy ghost is getting a hold of somebody and it's doing something and it's doing a work. And that seed of truth is taking root in somebody's life and heart. Uh, I would just encourage people. Hey man, if it's truth, just keep, just keep sharing it. Amen. Yeah. That is, that is excellent. You know, and sometimes we can be um, a little bit academic in the scriptures. Um, you know, we don't always, you know, there's not you right. know, perfect teaching, right? You know, it's, it's an academic, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're, Oh, I don't even want to get hermeneutically correct and homiletically, whatever, you know, Sure. blah, yeah. blah, blah. But, you know, sometimes it's a little more academic, but then at the end, sometimes there's not a practical application with teaching. But it doesn't always have to be. God can still work yeah. through his word, you know, like, yeah. like you came up, like, hey, I want this blood applied. I, I don't, I don't know how to do that. But we know, you know, with all scripture, you know, uh, Hebrews nine twenty two, you know, and almost mm-hmm. all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, in Acts yeah. two thirty eight. You know, repentance and remission of sins. You know, the the only way you have the the remission or the payment for your sins is the blood of Jesus, and then, uh, you know, baptized in Jesus' name. You know, is for the remission of your sins, the washing right. of your sins. And that's yeah. uh, also somebody somebody quote First John five eight. Grab that while we we're transitioning here, and I believe it's you know there are three that bear record or that yeah bear record in the earth: the blood, the water, and the spirit. And right. these three agree in one. How do they agree in one? In salvation, right? You know, it's the you have to have the blood of the Lamb applied to your life. But moving on here, um, if you had anything else to say, guys, about Exodus twelve, it's too late. Sorry, but the, <laughs> moving on here, um, and into Exodus, where they're they're coming out the the literal Exodus or the exiting the the you're extraditing the how do you want to say you're pulling out the people of Israel out of Egypt, um, and and so moving on here, it's. As they pass through, uh, if, if you look in Exodus 14, uh, if you're a listener, if you're following along, the children of Israel are, are coming out of Egypt, um, and then they are passing through the Red Sea. Some parallels here with, with coming out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea, uh, being led, uh, you know, all these type things by God. Let's see here. Who is the uh, – uh, would that be Jacob? Would that be you yeah. on that? Yep. You want to go ahead and start that start that off for us tonight? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, chapter fourteen right here is talk is is a type or a shadow of like what we experience when we come to the Lord. You know, Egypt is a type of the world. The Egyptians are sin. The Red Sea would be, um, as I put here, and Brother Seth corrected me, but our baptismal tank, if you would. Uh, <laughs> Moses is our minister. The dead Egyptians that we see upon the seashore, that's the remission or the removal of our sins. We see this whole going through, and, and Brother Joe and I were talking about this before, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 begins and basically is talking about the Israelites were baptized unto Moses in the sea. So this this whole experience we see here is a type and shadow of our baptism yes. in water. Right. Uh, the removal, the remission, the the washing away of our sins. I find it interesting here in chapter 14, verse 13, you know, Moses, the people are all terrified, right? The Egyptians have followed them. They come out of, they come out of Egypt. They come out of the world. If it's, if it's us, right. And, and the Egyptians chase after them, their sin follows them through. Mm. And so they're terrified. And, and Moses begins to say, he says, fear not, you know, stand still, wait and see the salvation of the Lord for he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Uh, he continues, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And I, I think it's funny like, that the Lord says, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> he says, he still literally says that in verse, four, in verse 15. Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But then he commands him to lift up his rod. And as he does, the, the waters begin to part. And the cloud that originally was going before them, that was leading them, that spirit, if you would, the Holy Ghost, begins to go behind them to protect them. 
during the night while this water is being separated. And then as they go, the water begins to spread and the Israelites then walk through on dry ground through the water. And we see that the, the Egyptians, they, they get hardened in their heart, it says, and they, they chase after them into the midst of the sea thinking, oh, sure, we'll, we'll make it in there. But all of a sudden, their, their chariots start to shake and their wheels start flying off and they get stuck in the mud and, and they begin to cry out and try to run away. But God causes the water, which there's some people that say that the water is, was only a few inches deep. And that's what allowed God to separate it. But whether it's a few inches deep or several entire, miles deep, God drowned an entire Egyptian yeah. army <laughs> in a few inches of water. I mean, like, like yeah. that's just crazy. No, that's, so, that's, uh, that's absolutely, you know, I, I believe a, uh, just trying to eliminate the, the power of the word of God. You know, there's historians. Yeah. So just to give it more, not more validity. The Bible doesn't need more validity. It's the word of God. Yeah. But just to give a little, um, uh, credence what you're saying is actually in that day that whole area was underwater it was deeper than it is today it was a little bit different dynamic yeah. so if you want to research history go right ahead at the end of this we see that the the israelites the children of israel walked upon dry ground in the midst of the mm -hmm. sea so so as they were walking through the water was closing behind them and killing the egyptians right yeah. and then they come up onto the dry ground and said says thus the lord saved israel that day out of the hand of the egyptians and israel saw the egyptians dead upon the seashore another thing that's kind of interesting and i i don't have it on my notes here but i mentioned it with brother lamb it says and the egyptians shall know that i am the lord yes. when i have gotten me honor upon pharaoh so our baptism our our rem removal of our sins it's a testimony is it's a testimony when our sins are removed it's a witness to the world about god's grace I, right, I find right, it so interesting right. that god is so focused on the egyptians will know that i am the lord yeah it's not you it's not your children it's not any of your friends it's your enemies the the world will know that i am the lord right wow right but yeah i think it's, like that go ahead who was that joe go ahead. oh yeah uh, just uh you know that scripture uh, you know, which and it's, I believe it's in first, is it first Peter chapter five, I believe where it talks about, uh, which in times past, you were not a people, but now you are a people, you know, you had, hadn't obtained mercy. Now you have obtained mercy. You are called, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, you know, which God called you out that you should shine mm -hmm. forth the praises mm -hmm. of him that oh, I just butchered that scripture. But anyway, but you show yeah. forth the praises <laughs> of him that. I don't think it's called you out of darkness into his marvelous Absolutely. light. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we are. So it shows forth. You know, it testifies of God's mercy and His His great hand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's powerful, guys. It's powerful. It's a glorious uh, Anthony, God. Anthony, yeah. anything else there? You got anything else on that? The correlation there between coming out of Egypt, the Red Sea, and and what? Well, I think I think Brother Jacob covered it really well. Awesome. Yeah, he awesome. did. Yeah, yeah he did. Great. That's very good, and that's 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 very powerful. You know, the world is going to see it even more. I think it's interesting too. If you dig back a little further, Exodus twelve thirty eight, there was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with with Israel. Yeah, and uh, yeah. there were <laughs> there were some people who were like, you know what? I I think this this whole like Jehovah. I think I think he's uh, I think he's the real deal. Right. You know? I think I'll go with them. You know? I think I'll go with them. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been me, my group. Like, you know, yeah. first yeah. play here, you know, the blood. Like, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go over there to Goshen where it's good. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Actually, go. Actually, go I, if I remember correctly, I believe in the first, like, four plagues, Goshen was not exempt. I don't I don't believe it's until, like, the fifth or the sixth plague that it talks about that Goshen was set apart. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that, you know, in the darkness, definitely it says uh, verbatim that it was not, but, um, yeah. you know, they had light. That's interesting. Right. Um, yeah. I'll do some, I'll do some digging in that because uh, my opinion is that it probably was, but my opinion doesn't yeah. matter. The word of God matters. So, uh, true, <laughs> true. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, after the first plague, I think I would have just got out, got out the land or something. You know, I would have made my own crossing, but. <laughs> And it would have been crossing from out of Egypt into somewhere else. But um, go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, I don't. I don't have anything to add really with a, about the Red Sea, but the aftermath when when Moses is singing unto the Lord, and they're singing of the de great deliverance that God has given them. Mm -hmm. The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. He's my God. When we experience the new birth. 
we have a song to sing. We should continually have a praise on our lips because yes. God, we were dead. We were dead in our mm-hmm. bondage. We were dead in, in the land of sin and, and we were dead in the flesh, but God brought us yeah. out. God right. delivered us from such bondage. We should always have that praise on our hearts and our, in our minds. And we have a song we're singing. Right. right. Yeah, uh, uh, when when the preacher, when the pastor gets up, when the worship leader gets up and encourages praise and worship, man, that, that should be us to be the first ones with our hands raised, singing praises, uh, right. you know, wh- whatever, however you want to express that. We have a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. Right. That's, that's yes. really good. That's true. Egypt was the land that was not life. That was not what God intended for his people. You know, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say this before we move on to this next point here, but uh, the Bible talks about, you know, the God was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. I find it very interesting that, you know, those two, those two foods are, um, are, you don't have to take life to have those two food substances. You know, you, you have milk just comes from a living cow who's living, but producing a food and honey also from a bee, a bee producing uh, food. Both of them have life. And there's no, no nothing sacrificed to give you those nutrition, mm, that, that nutrition. Yeah. And so it's so like yeah. it's, you have you have Egypt, what what they they call for like the leeks and the onions. Let's go back there. There was leeks and onions. You know, if you yeah. you, you read a little further on in Exodus, and yep. and I'm like, you know, no, God wants to give you life somewhere where life is protected and beautiful and whatever. And uh, it's that's true. Awesome. Yeah, that's 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 what we're pushing forward to. Um, anyways, moving on. Exodus chapter seventeen. Verse 12, Aaron and her, they're both older than Moses. The elders in this instance, well, I'll let you guys take it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, would that be Jacob? You want to go ahead and start us off yeah. there? Well, one thing that's interesting to note, uh, Aaron is actually, I believe, three to five years older than Moses. The Bible actually says, and I can't remember. But her um, is actually, I believe, the grandfather of of one of the young men that that are under Moses. So he's also older than Moses. And one thing that we see here in, in chapter 17 and verse 12, we see that Amalek comes and begins to attack them. And if, if you do some typology, Amalek would be like the flesh, you know, after our salvation, it comes against us trying to, trying to tear us down. But Moses goes up onto the top of this, of this hill or this mountain. And he, he raises up his hands with this staff. And as he raises up this staff, Joshua and the men that are fight that are with him fighting against the Amalekites, they begin to win as long as Moses' hands are up. But all of a sudden, yeah. you know, he's he's like 80, 90 years old and his arms get tired. So he starts lowering his arms. Well, as his arms lower, the men in the valley, they begin to 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 lose. They begin to take casualties on their side and so you know moses would try to hold his arms up well aaron and her the elders come alongside of moses the minister and they hold up his hands hold up his as in our in our day and age would be his teaching his his principles his statutes that he commands and and holds up his hands and because of that they win against the fight of the amalekites and so for us like us today our elders, and, and you know, I, I say, I preached this once, and my elders agreed, you know, our elders need to be holding up the teaching, the hands of our so pastor. Important. And us younger men are the ones, you know, fighting in the valley. But not only that, the people around, if, if, the past, if what the pastor teaches, biblically accurate, is held up, then we who are fighting against Amalek or our flesh will be able to succeed Absolutely. a lot easier because we have that. You know, my elders support what my pastor says. This is right. That's good. That's good. Oh, Anthony. Well, it just goes to show of how heavy a burden that the lead minister or the pastor of a congregation carries. We read a little bit about it with Jethro. It's it's too heavy for one person. The The yeah. weight of ministry is far too heavy for one person. And I think one of the greatest dangers uh, of being a minister is feeling like, uh, no one understands you, feeling like no one can relate. No one is with you. Yeah. You're all alone in this fight. You're all alone doing the work of God. And, and that's a great danger. That's a great threat to anyone's ministry. It's so important not only to have people that lift you up and to strengthen you, but also people that you can trust, people that, that you know they got your back. And you know you can go on doing God's work. At least you know that, hey, at least I got a couple guys that are with me on this. And right. you feel the empowerment of your brothers. You really do. 
Mm-hmm. So it's so right. important uh, ministry in your church or uh, in your life that, that still supports you and strengthen you and vice versa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, and like, that's good. I, I kind of, when you were talking about that, it popped up that, that saying, you know, uh, a jack of all trades, a master of none. That kind okay. of portrays our, our pastors. They're a jack of all trades. They can do everything. They should be able to do everything. They can do the books. They can do all that. When they add somebody who is, quote unquote, a master at that underneath them that can take up that burden, it just propels mm-hmm. the gospel even further, you know, because they're not the ones putting all of the having all the pressure of every detail of ministry on their life. And instead, if we take up that burden and when we as, like I say, quote unquote, masters of a certain task, take on that burden onto ourselves, it leaves them to be able to go into the word and dig out the word that they need to give to us. I will. I will throw something that's very good. And there's practical application here before I let Joe finish this up here. But um, I remember not to name drop, but listening to a brother, Charles Robinette. So name drop, you know, he, he was <laughs> preaching. I believe it was a teaching session, actually, in, in uh, one of the services down in Bismarck. And he spoke of how he would visit his pastor and when he was a young man, a teenager, and he was just hungry for God. And, and he said he would mow his lawn for his pastor and weed his flower bed and this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Just because he said, you know what, my pastor has the weight of souls on him. And he said, if I could yeah. ease his burden any, then I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to do it. And he said, but not only that, but then he got blessed too. He said, because, you know, he'd get done mowing his pastor's yard or whatever. And he said his pastor would come out and talk to him. And he just cherished those moments of his pastor would just pour into him wisdom and things of God and the things of scripture. And he just cherished those moments. You know, I guess I'm going to guess it didn't always happen. You know, there were probably times he mowed the lawn and nothing, you know, the pastor didn't come outside. The pastor wasn't home. Yeah. But there were those times when he was just blessing the man of God, you know, assisting him, allowing him to concentrate on the, the important task of, of ministering to people, ministering to souls. And, and he was blessed in the process. Amen. Well, moving on here, uh, Psalm, uh, I believe it was chapter, uh, is it 14, Joe, here that you want to expound a little bit on? Uh, I believe it's in uh, Psalms chapter 12, verse 6. King David said, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of, the, of earth, purified seven times. Thou wow. shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I think, you know, it's important to realize that God does preserve his word. For You know, Psalms 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is true. You know, there are, I think that probably everybody in the world would agree that, oh yeah, God preserves his word. But, you know, I I believe it's very, very dangerous to anything that cuts down or undermines the authority of the Bible. And uh, and we can even get into uh, different translations of the Bible. You could maybe call me a King James only guy. I'm not saying that King (laughs) James, you know, that another version of the Bible might not say the same thing. But I believe, obviously, the Word of God was inspired. Uh, you know, the, the original Word of God was not written in, in, it wasn't the King James Bible, but the detail that went into the translation from the Hebrew yeah. and Greek into English. Yes. And, you know, the King James Bible that we have now, it is the Scripture. It's the same Scripture that, you know, was back, um, you know, hundreds of years before Christ, it, you know, like the book of Isaiah. And then also, you know, there's just so many things to that, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the things that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's the same Scripture that we have in the King James Bible. You know, it's the exact yeah. same thing. And so, you know, we just got to take God's Word, what it says. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, he said that, that, that there's not going to be one jot or tittle or that, that are going to pass away. Uh, from his word. I think that when there's words taken from the Bible, even if it's like, oh, we're just taking that, we're putting it into modern English mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that I, I really, that's, there's a danger in that because you're taking away words, repetition. Um, you know, the, yeah. the, the, these things yeah. are very important. And yeah. I believe that, you know, God preserves his word, but it's humanity has always tried to tear that down, tear it away, really undermine the authority of scripture. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we just need to take God's word for, for what it is, and this is his word. There's just so many things. I mean, the God's word is proven to be true. You, I mean, just, you know, if you realize the, where some of these books came from, the books in the Bible, and when they were written years apart by people that didn't know e- each other, 
even at all, or even just the prophecies in the Bible that have come to pass. You know, we can talk about prophecies of Jesus and in great detail that, that these prophecies came about. And, uh, and even to this day, prophecies are coming to pass, prophecies of the end times and things. Yes, yes, that is excellent. Yeah. Amen. That was great, uh, Brother Joe. I absolutely 100% agree with you there. Jacob, do you, do you want anything? Do you want to add anything there to what Joe said? No, I think he pretty well covered it. Anthony? Uh, yeah, I got a few tittles to add. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> learn the word, obey the word, keep the word, and the word will keep you. Ooh, that's good. That's very good. Of course, I got to say something. You know, I've, man, I could not agree more 100% with, with Brother Joe. Uh, you know, what we don't have to be as apostolics intimidated by any false doctrine out there. We have the word. Just learn right. the word, uh, live the word. And most importantly, live the word, okay? Yeah. Just do yeah. the word. Amen. You know, don't be hearer only, but a doer also. We're going to end it tonight. Uh, thank you so much, listener, for listening to us tonight and paying attention and participating. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. You know, if we didn't cover something, let us know. Tell us by sending us a voice message through anchor.fm. Uh, if you have a word of our encouragement for the podcast or uh, some advice or some hate mail, let us know, too. We appreciate it. Uh, please reach out to us. We have a voice message on Anchor, uh, or you can reach out to us in the comments or through our Scripture Unleashed fa uh, Facebook page. You can go there, like us, uh, share it with friends and family. Obviously, we are uh, new to this. We're just getting started. We want all the tips and advice we can get on how to improve it, how to make it more listener-friendly. Every, everybody here would agree with that. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to having you with us next week as we go through Exodus uh, chapters 28 through 40 and also Matthew chapter 1 through 6 and also Psalm chapter 14 through 17. I'm very excited to announce this with a special guest. I'm not going to tell wow. you who, but good night. Amen. And from all of us here, God bless you. God, God bless, bless you. Us. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.